0: We are in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Uh, We're also going to dip back into Acts chapter 4 for a few minutes. Um, If you have a bulletin, you can follow the short outline that's on the inside right cover of the bulletin. On the left side, you have some of the passages that we're going to be looking at, or you can use your Bibles or your phone if you have a Bible app on your phone. So with that, Philippians 2.12 teaches us, To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The scriptures often call us to fear the Lord. And we see stories throughout the Bible of people trembling before God. Now, I would imagine that fear is not necessarily something that we would choose to associate with God. Especially in a world where there is already so much to fear. So much to fear. But nevertheless, this is something that God commands of us. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at an event in redemptive history that serves as a reminder that while Christianity is a faith filled with grace, compassion, love, and mercy, the one who pours out these good gifts is no one to be trifled with. That is an enormous truth that we need to wrap our minds around this morning. In other words, if we are going to identify ourselves with King Jesus, then we need to understand that this temple, and I'm referring to the people of God, just as it was designed to be throughout the Old Testament, is a place of holiness And to live our lives in any other way is to mock God. And while we might not drop dead, as we'll see take place in this text, we must never mistake God's patience and his forbearance for weakness or apathy. We must never mistake his patience or his forbearance for weakness or apathy. So with that, let's jump into the text this morning. Now, in order for us to really understand what is happening in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we need to go back and look at another individual. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through 37, it reads this. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him. And he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if we remember from Pete's sermon a couple weeks back, that this community of faith was a devoted community of faith. They were devoted to one another, they were devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to prayer, and and generally speaking, as a result of this devotion, they were a community marked by radical love for both God and one another, a love that manifested itself in unprecedented generosity, where people were selling their land and giving all of the proceeds to those who were in need. And then what happens is that the camera zooms in a bit, and we get a specific picture of this one person named Barnabas, or as his friends called him, the son of encouragement. And what does he do? Well, he sells a field. The text doesn't say if he owned other fields. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but there was a field that belonged to him and he sold it. He then took the proceeds of that field and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, New Testament scholar and commentator Beverly Gaventa argues that to place oneself or one's belongings at the feet of another is to be in submission to that person's authority or instruction. And we see numerous times where this takes place in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So so this was a big deal to lay something at someone's feet. Another thing that we see is that nowhere in the text does it say that the people were required to sell their possessions or property. Nor does it say how much of the profits they were required to give. It simply stated what occurred. This was an observation being made by Luke as he wrote down this book that we call the Acts of the Apostles. And so what's the point? The people were living in both response and dependence upon the resurrection of Christ, which served as the foundation of their own salvation. They were living in response and dependence upon the resurrection of King Jesus. And that response and dependence manifested in this radical love and generosity that they were living out among one another. They were living as a family. They were living as a family. We talked about that last week, how, how this, this body of Christ right here, Redeemer Fellowship, is a family. It's a local expression of the family of God. That's why we refer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, because that's what we are. We're family. We're family. Bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And that's such an important category for us to understand. And it's such an important lens for us to read these stories that that turn up throughout the book of Acts. They were just acting like a very close-knit, good, loving family. And so the text goes on in verses five, um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we'll look at verses 1 through 6 first. And it reads like this. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet but peter said to ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him and buried him. Right. But a man named Ananias sold a piece of property... And he kept back some of the proceeds for himself. Now, important things to notice about this text. The passage begins with the word, but, which triggers in our minds a contrast. What's the contrast? Well, the contrast is between Ananias and Sapphira and the person who came prior, Barnabas. There's a contrast between Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas. And also one thing we need to notice, this was not a solo effort, but rather the couple worked together on this. This this has echoes of Adam and Eve and and their sin in the garden. There's echoes of Adam and Eve. And, And they seemingly did the exact same thing as everyone else did, and specifically Barnabas. They laid it at the apostles' feet. The language is identical. But Peter said... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? See, Peter knows, and I'm not sure how he knows. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is giving him a word of knowledge, but he knows. And while the rest of the community, as we learn in chapter 4, verse 31, was filled with the Holy Spirit, this couple was filled with Satan. The spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. That guy. And I think it's important for us to wrap our minds around what's going on here. What's happening? A couple things. um, Pete read from Joshua 7. And I want to kind of jump back there with you for just a minute. Joshua 7 verse 1. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith. In regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. The rest of that chapter outlines that story, but let me just kind of talk quickly about it. What's happening in Joshua chapter 7? Well, Joshua chapter 6 just happened. And, and Jericho fell, right? They took the land. They were entering into the promised land. They were walking in the promises of God. And this was a pivotal moment in redemptive history. And what happens? But none other than this man, Achan, he sees something. He sees the the riches that were before him, this gold and all these other beautiful things, and he sees that they're beautiful and he takes them. Again, this is language that's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3 because if you remember, Eve saw the fruit, that it was good or beautiful to the eyes, and what did she do? She took it. Achan does the same thing. And the language... Is eerily similar to what's happening in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias hold back some of what they sold the property for. And so what do we see happening with Ananias and Sapphira? None other than that they see all this money, right? They see all this, this, as the Goonies call it, rich stuff, and, and they're taken by it. But they're struggling, right, because they're in the midst of a moment where they just saw this guy Barnabas lay all the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And, and people like Barnabas, right? Barnabas has a nickname, son of encouragement, right? When you have a nickname, that means people know you. You're kind of in. And, and Ananias and Sapphira are like, well, well we, we want in too. We want, to be, we want to be like like Barnabas. We want to be like the rest of those people, but, but man, that's a lot of money. You know what we'll do? And I'm using my imagination right now. You know what we'll do? I can picture the conversation. Anne and I saying as fire, honey, I got an idea. Right? We can, we can sell the property. We have all this money now. Let's just give part of it, right? And that's good, right? We give part of it, and we don't have to say anything. Let's just keep it to ourselves. Everyone will think we're just as generous as Barnabas. We'll climb the societal ladder of the church, and we will maybe get a cool nickname like Barnabas, and we'll be in. Oh, but but God's not mocked, right? God's not mocked. We can't pretend to be something we're not. See, to be like Barnabas... Meant loving people more than money and status. But that's not the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Sadly, that's not the story of Ananias and Sapphira. See, the sin is not that they didn't give all of the money, that's not the sin. The sin is that they were pretending to be something they weren't. They wanted to appear a certain way before the community to gain status within the community, which is what they truly loved. Which is what they truly loved. John Calvin, the Protestant reformer from the 1500s, he says it like this. Ananias is ashamed not to be accounted as one of the best. Therefore... He purchased a name among men. So it is that he honors the apostles' feet more than God's eyes. Wherefore, we must take good heed that when we do well, we do not seek the praise of bystanders. Did you catch that? That we do not seek the praise of bystanders. I mean, have we not all done similar things? Have we not tried to appear smarter, better, and holier than we are? And so the question we really need to wrestle with is, what are we lacking in our relationship with God that we, need to feel, that we feel the need to seek approval elsewhere? What are we lacking in our relationship with God that we feel the need to seek approval elsewhere? That's a lot of what's happening in this text right now. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be on the inn, but they didn't want to sacrifice for it. They wanted all the glory without the suffering. But, but what we know about the Christian life is that we will be glorified, in the words of, Apostle, of the Apostle Paul, provided we suffer. We will be glorified with Christ, provided we suffer with Christ. And Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't willing To walk in that suffering, but they wanted all the glory because they were lacking in their dependence upon God. They were looking elsewhere for approval. They weren't understanding that before God they can be naked and unashamed as they were prior to the fall in the garden, that we can stand before God, our holy God, and we can be approved. By him on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't need to pretend. We don't need to pretend. And so some of us in here might be wrestling with, with some, some of our own sins in our own heart. I know that studying this text this week was not exactly fun. Right? It, this wasn't one of those texts where it's like, oh, this is so cool. This is so encouraging. This is so, oh, my goodness. Like, no, this was, like, this was like his finger in my chest the whole time as I'm looking through this passage. And I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, Lord, like search my heart. Where, where am I you know, pretending, play-acting, living the life of a hypocrite? Because the reality is we all are in some way, shape, or form. And God is trying to strip us of that. He wants us to walk in faithfulness. He wants us to walk in holiness, but he does not want us to pretend we are. He wants us to be honest before him and honest with one another. What are the things that we're struggling with? Remember, we're a family. We're family. And that means we can lean on one another. We can find those close relationships within the body of Christ that we can confess our sins and, and that we can have people hold us accountable, but we can't just live our lives play-acting and pretending that all is good. And this is so characteristic of the American church, right? When we walk into the building, hey, how are you? Good, great, praise the Lord. And, and, and that might not always be true. In fact, I would venture to say nine times out of ten, we're doing great, praise the Lord, is not actually what's going on in our hearts, but we want to keep up appearances. And God is pushing us here. He's saying this thing we call Christianity isn't about keeping up appearances. It's about being faithful. It's about walking in holiness and righteousness. It's about confessing our sins to one another and to God. It's about allowing the grace of God to cleanse us, not our own efforts, right? This is a classic example of someone trying to build their own way up to God, similar to what we saw in the Tower of Babel where they were building up their own way to God, when reality is we only need Christ. We only need Christ. And so Peter rebukes Ananias. In fact, he acknowledges the work of Satan, which is something I think we need to sit in for a minute. Right? Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, and make no mistake, he makes his way into the church. He makes his way into the church. This couple was filled with Satan. The same word used to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same word. I think think Luke's trying to make a point here. We can either be filled with the Spirit of God or we can be filled with the Spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And, and the reality is, is that Satan is working in the church. In fact, Satan probably has his target set on the church because we are the enemy. Because if we are in Christ, then we are his representatives on earth. And, and who, is, who is Satan after? But he's after the throne. He's always been after the throne. But as we sang this morning, our God will reign forever. See, he's not going to fall off of his throne in any way, shape, or form because he is the king. But Satan's going to keep trying, and he's going to try by attacking the very people who represent him. And so we do need to be on guard. We do need to arm ourselves, as we talked about when we studied Ephesians a little over a year ago. We need to put on the armor of God. But Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't do that. They allowed Satan to fill them. They allowed this desire for status and money to overcome them, similar to Achan. And at this pivotal moment in redemptive history, the birth of the church, we might be reading this and thinking like, wow, this this feels really harsh, but if we are truly the temple of the living God, the very dwelling place for his presence, then he cannot tolerate sin. And at this pivotal point in redemptive history, the birth of the church, the reconstitution of Israel, God chooses to make a point. God chooses to make a point. And what is the result of the point he makes? In verse 5, it says, Great fear came upon all who heard it. Great fear came upon all who heard it. Now, I'm going to touch on this fear thing in just a moment, but I want to talk a little bit about Sapphira before we jump into that. Verses 7 through 11, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So just by reading the text, we know that they decided to do this deed together, and Ananias went while Sapphira stayed home. And I imagine Sapphira sitting at home, it's like, well, Ananias should be back by now. What's going on? And so a couple hours go by, three, and she walks up to the apostle, probably wondering like, well, where's my husband? Did he have a nickname yet? And so what happens? Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. See, Sapphira chose to honor her husband above honoring God, and judgment fell upon her as well. The result was once again that a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And so let's talk a little bit about fear because I do think fear is a really good motivator, right? Fear keeps us from getting ourselves into trouble. If you're a parent, I'm sure you teach your children to fear certain things. I want my children to be fearful of what a stove can do. That's an important fear to have. I want my children to be fearful of what sticking something in an outlet could do a good fear to have. I want my children to be fearful of what could happen if they run into the middle of the street. Again, that's a good fear to have. A quick story, um, about a week and a half ago, my son Joshua, we were, we were at someone's house, and, and he went running into the middle of the street, and I grabbed him by the arm, and I got right in his face. I got really angry, and I gave him, you know, one of those, and he does not like that. Joshua doesn't like that, but I explained to him that the pain you received from me slapping your hand is a lot less than the pain you'll receive from a car crashing into you. And now I don't know if my four-year-old fully understands that, but I do want him to associate the street with this. I want him to recognize and be fearful. Why? Because I want to protect my son. I want to protect him. And, and, and those of you who are parents, I'm sure you've done similar things with your children. Because fear keeps us from getting ourselves into sticky situations. Let's hear from John Calvin again. All those punishments which we read have been laid upon men in times past. They're meant to call us back from the enticements and liberty of sinning. They're called to call us back from the enticements and liberty of sinning for our flesh must be bridled every now and then after this sort, because one bridle will scarce serve the turn. What's the point? This thing that we call Christianity, it's not a game. And if we're here for selfish ambition, if we're simply going through the motions, or if we're pretending to be something we're not, then we need to heed this warning and we need to allow the fear of God to envelop us and move us away from sin because God is not playing around. God is not playing around. Fear the Lord. Look at these stories, the story of Achan, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and the countless other stories where God acts in judgment, and and allow these stories to penetrate our hearts to show us that the God we serve is a God who cares deeply about holiness. And so, therefore, we too should care deeply about holiness. He's a God who cares deeply about sin And so therefore, we need to be a people who care deeply about sin. Some of us might be squirming right now. Some of us might be scared. But my prayer is that we would not be scared of getting caught. That's not the right kind of fear. I pray that we would not be scared of getting caught because the Holy Spirit is already well aware of whatever it is we're trying to hide. My prayer is that we would fear God and repent of whatever it is that God is calling us to repent of. We can't fear getting caught because we're already caught. If God truly is sovereign and all-knowing, then he is well aware of our sins. Remember, he knew exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did. And he gave that information to Peter. The Lord knew exactly what Achan did. And he gave that information to Joshua. And then the response was judgment. The response was judgment. Now, praise God that that he is a God of patience and forbearance. But we cannot take advantage of that patience and forbearance or take his patience and forbearance for granted. In fact, we must allow the kindness of God to lead us to repentance. We must allow the kindness of God to lead us to repentance. And that's what this is a warning for us. And in fact, it's not just an individual warning, it's a corporate warning. It's a warning that we would be a church who cares deeply about holiness, that we would not tolerate sin in our midst, that we would confront sin, and, and, and we have done that in the past, and it's something we need to continue doing, and it's not the pretty side of Christianity, right? It's not the side of Christianity where everyone is, is you know, selling their possessions and giving, and everyone's having fun, and it feels like a 1960s commune, right? Like, no, that's not the, like, of course, we love those beautiful things, Those are wonderful things, but we mustn't neglect the difficult things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can't, and we can't be ashamed of those difficult things. In fact, um, Ajith Fernando, he says that in this story, he says that this should give us courage to persevere in presenting the unpleasant aspects of the faith, and he says that because what follows in chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, It says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. Now remember, this is following the great fear that came upon all the church. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. See, this fear that enveloped the church and those surrounding communities led to more spiritual fruit, as the work of God continued to reverberate throughout Jerusalem. And so a couple of observations. I'm not an anti-miracle guy. I'm not, I'm not that guy. In fact, I would probably lean more toward the continuation of the sign gifts rather than the ceasing. But like I said previously, this is what we call an open-handed issue at our church. As there are some in our church who believe the gifts have ceased, while there are others who believe they are still active. But the amount of miracles being performed in and through the early church is just not something we see every day in the American church here in 2021. We just don't see that sort of thing every day. So, so clearly, something's different about now and then. I think one of the issues could be that, that because of modernism, we've been stripped of, of all sort of any belief in the supernatural. I think that's part of it, but I also think it could be similar to what we saw in the judgment falling down upon Ananias and Sapphira, that in these early years of the church, and I mentioned this last week, the message of the gospel was being authenticated by these miraculous events. See, remember, God is inaugurating his kingdom. He's beginning his kingdom through the reconstitution of Israel so that the message of Jesus could spread to the ends of the earth. Remember, that is the whole goal of the book of Acts, that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. And so at this pivotal moment in redemptive history, he's making sure everyone knows exactly who he is, both through these miraculous signs and wonders and through judgment falling down upon Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, God's not playing around. He's getting something done. Another thing which I think is really interesting about this last section, verse 13, continues this fear motif. People heard about what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and they also heard of and possibly saw the signs and wonders being performed through the community of faith, and they knew not to mess around with this. Remember, the religious leaders from last week, they knew that a notable sign had been performed. And it was this knowledge that kept them from bringing the hammer down upon the disciples. But it's so interesting that it says that in verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Because they're probably thinking like, okay, I don't don't know if I want to get involved in what's going on there. Because people die. And I, I don't want to die. And that's actually a healthy fear. If you're not ready to completely throw yourself in, all in on this thing we call Christianity, then then don't step in at all. Like, you can't dip your toe in the water of Christianity. You can't just put on the the Jesus t-shirt. No, no, no. It's all or nothing when it comes to walking with Jesus. This doesn't mean perfection, it means faithfulness, but it is all or nothing. And so people were thinking, like, I don't know if I'm ready to commit all to this. But at the same time, check out what it says in verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so the fear of the Lord led to missional fruit. And this is what we need to take away from this passage this morning. The fear of the Lord led to missional fruit because you're not getting half-hearted Christians. There's no cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would refer to it, being administered through the apostles. It's an all-or-nothing gig, and we're either following Jesus And we're filled with the Holy Spirit, or we are filled with the Spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. It's one or the other. We can't stand in the middle and straddle that line. It's not possible. In fact, if we are trying to do that, we're most likely miserable. We're most likely miserable. But even more so, we're mocking God. And that's where we do need to, as it says in Philippians, work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we're dealing with a holy God. My goal this morning is that we would walk away recognizing that the God we worship, while he is merciful, loving, gracious, and kind, he is also holy. He is also holy. And therefore, we are to be holy as he is holy. And again, this doesn't mean perfection. This means faithfulness. This means daily repentance. This means daily confession. This means searching our hearts, examining ourselves, taking those warning passages throughout the scripture seriously because they weren't written for no reason. They were written so that we would examine ourselves that we would take this faith seriously. And so as we do close our time this morning, and as we consider the Lord's table, we must heed the warning of both Ananias and Sapphira. We must cultivate a fear of the Lord rather than a fear of getting caught. And the only way we do that is through repentance and confession. And in so doing, we are allowing the Spirit of God to freely move in and through us. Like I mentioned before, this does not mean we have to be perfect in order to bear fruit in the kingdom. But it does mean that we need to take our sin seriously. That we need to seek the favor from God and not man. Christianity, as I said, is not a game and it's not a societal ladder which we can climb to gain favor and status with others. The minute this thing stops being about Jesus and starts being about us, we're skating on very thin ice. And so, Redeemer Fellowship. My prayer is that we would be a church marked by faithfulness, repentance, holiness, and and a fear and reverence of King Jesus so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling which God has placed upon us. This is what it means to follow Jesus. We need to be aware that Satan is trying to fill this place. He is. That's the reality. And our flesh is still active. Right? I've said this before, we still speak in the accent of a sinner, even though we're saints. And so we have to fight against sin and temptation. We need to mortify the flesh as, as the old school cats would say, right? We need to fight tooth and nail to put sin to death. We need to confess to one another. We need to repent and we need to recognize that we stand before a holy God and we find our satisfaction in him and in him alone. In him and in him alone. So let me pray for us before we go to the table this morning. Father in heaven. I thank you for this sobering passage, Lord. Um, I thank you for the challenge that it's placed upon my own heart, Father, and I pray that it would challenge all of us individually and corporately as the body of Christ here in Toms River, New Jersey, Lord God. Lord, that we would be a people who, who, who are able to show the world what God is like and who is God He is. You are none other than a holy God, Lord. I pray that we would be holy. Father, that we would not be ashamed of holiness. That we would not be ashamed of what righteousness calls us to. In a world that, that, that applauds sin, Father, we are going to look different. And while that might be difficult at times, Father, I pray that we would stay the course, Lord, that we would be faithful, Father. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, I pray that we would examine our hearts. That we truly would look to you, Lord God. That you would search us, Lord God. Wherever there is sin, I pray that we would take the time to confess it before you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.